fellas, I went to my very first one-year-old birthday party yesterday, <laughs> and I have I have a, a nine-month-old daughter, and one of my friends um, has uh, has two kids technically, but the the first mm-hmm. one was during COVID, so we didn't do a birthday party for him um, or for mm-hmm. her, excuse me. Um, but this time, I we we all got together, and there were like I don't know, maybe thirty people and eight kids something like that all crawling all over the place and like trying to eat mm. light bulbs and I was oh my goodness <laughs> it was it was very cute uh but also very very stressful like each of the kids that were old enough to understand what presents were were yelling about how they're their presents and they want to open them and, and stuff like that and then one of the kids was like trying to eat wrapping paper and then and my, my daughter <laughs> Evie grabbed the birthday boy's hair and was like, oh, please don't pull the hair. Please don't pull the hair and, and make him start crying. I hope you <laughs> she, she pulled <laughs> gently because she was interested no, no. and he didn't start start crying, thankfully. She, she but, didn't immediately establish dominance? No, thank goodness. <laughs> <What a shame. laughs> That's all I need. Uh, FD, you've got, you've got kids. Uh, have you, you've experienced this, I'm sure, right? Is it, does it ever get any easier, the, 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 birth, the kid birthday parties? Are you ever less stressed? It depends on how serious of a parent you are. I, I I see some parents go to birthday parties and they just like don't give a fuck. It's just like it's like literally it's their party. There, there's you know you get into you know certain. I'm in Atlanta and I'm in the city, so I'm in mm-hmm. kind of a latte liberal, yeah, progressive yeah. land. And like a lot of folks are solid, but a lot of folks are just kind of gross in a weird <laughs> in a weird way that only liberals can be when they're around each yeah. other. Yeah. And so some of them, like li- like so many parties I've been to, serve alcohol for the parents. Mm. And mm. like literally I've just seen, you know, parents act like it's their party and their kids are like just fighting to the <laughs> death. Accessories to him. Yeah. yeah. And, they're, and they're fighting to the death on the side and like awful war crimes are happening. And they're just like, you know, barely paying attention. So we so it, it, it depends on. So we always know which party type of party we're going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we don't really parent like that. We're uh, a, a somewhere between gentle parenting and helicopter parenting. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so it doesn't get easy it, it, unless you change the uh, the environment, the parenting style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the the gentle parenting thing is like I you know growing up I I never I grew up in a big family. I have five siblings, and I never really imagined having kids it's not something like I, I really desired or thought actively about but Kelsey um always did want kids so she's done all the research and stuff and then and um so she's clued me into all these things like what gentle parenting is and um solid starts is a thing where you use or what is it called baby led weaning where you let them basically kind of lead the way on on what kind of foods they're capable of of eating early on yeah. it's it's re- really interesting stuff and I've I it's oh my gosh it's the most stressful thing I've got a little what's it called like a, a Fitbit and when I sit down to lunch with with Evie um and she's got like what did she try recently that was trouble watermelon the real thin slices of watermelon um <laughs> but which is you know it's very easy to chew uh, because it's it's soft but the thing that I didn't realize and Kelsey told me this afterwards was that it's a difficult one for babies because they're not expecting the two different textures it's very watery so they get a lot of liquid in their mouth with along with the soft solids and so they'll gag a lot 
and that every time that Evie starts making like a gagging face, I just I, I seize up and I grab the table and and my watch will like buzz at me like irregular heart rate. I'm like, come on, it's the scariest thing in the world. Oh my god! There, there's I, a, I, I'm sorry. There's a video in in there somewhere about like the dystopia of raising children right now. Yeah. So my yeah. my kids are older, and we went through the baby phase in the you know we started we had our first kid and um, Obama was still president. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, uh, and we, and we weren't as, uh, we weren't, we weren't into gentle parenting yet. That didn't fully exist. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. we were, we were trying to, you know, we had, we had a mix of old school parents and like we got, and then also like, hopefully not so much of that. Like that was the yeah. best we had, but like the, uh, the idea of a Fitbit that can tell me if my child might die. Like that seems <laughs> yeah. like a, it seems like a good idea, but it also seems yeah. really awful. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm like, like I just feel yeah. like that maybe isn't <laughs> what that's not. It's not super for for clarity. It's on my wrist, not hers. So it's telling like <laughs> right. like that's all I need is to, is a little device that's on hers. Like danger, baby isn't terminally <laughs> right. close to death. Like that's all I need. Yeah. But um, it's been it's been very sweet. Like I've been I've enjoyed the the parenting stuff way more than I thought I would. And, uh, this, this last, um, this birthday party yesterday was my, uh, I guess my first trial with, you know, multiple children in, in the Thunderdome at the same time versus, you know, just, just hanging out with mine. So it's very, very interesting. But Hakeem, I guess, I mean, you don't have any children of your own, but you've got a lot uh, of family, right? (laughs) I have a lot of family. Thankfully, I don't have to look after them. The only kids I have to look after are very, very sick ones on my Mm. pediatric rotations. Um, and those I'm more than glad to 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 relay. That are they're fairly quiet. They tend to be. At least. Oh, poor <laughs> I know kids. it's fucked up. Yeah. But yeah. Um, nah. Uh, my younger my younger relatives. A lot of them. I don't know why. I have like the, the two sides. One of them is like one side is super chill, calm. You know, they'll sit there and be more or less relaxing. They'll talk a lot, but that's mm. about it. And then the other side, they're absolute demons. Okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, will, they, they will raise the foundations of your home. <laughs> I mean, the, and like the yelling and the screaming and the fighting. And I'm like, just like, sometimes I'm like, you shouldn't hit kids. But then I look at them like, mm, maybe, maybe you should hit these kids. There's <laughs> uh, always la chancla. You just you, you, the, exactly the right. <laughs> you, exactly you, you right. understand oh. where the philosophy was developed. Exactly. Yeah. There, there, is, there is, you know, there's a ton. That's something I had to like kind of unlearn. Um, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. like you know corporal punishment and stuff like that. Like I had to engage with that over time. Yeah. Uh, mm. But also, like I, I've also been to a lot of birthday parties and thought to myself, mm, this there's a disciplinary thing missing somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, howdy, y'all. Today we've got with us one of our most requested guests ever, the one and only FD Signifier. The man needs no introduction, but for any listeners who are still somehow unfamiliar with his work, FD makes video essays on social issues and uh, the intersection of politics and culture. You may know FD Signifier from such bangers as The Real Faces of Black Conservatism and Dissecting the Manosphere, but every episode in his back catalog is well worth a watch. Um, and mm. I highly recommend everybody to to check out his work. So, FD, thanks for coming on, and uh, please tell the audience a little more about yourself. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm FD Signifier. I am a relatively new creator. I feel like there was probably a wave of different creators across all of YouTube's 
uh, many genres that kind of emerged during COVID. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like a lot of them have lost steam because, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. But I'm one of the lucky few that has uh, maintained steady growth during that time. And uh, I'm a longtime uh, consumer of, you know, YouTube and video essays, especially at my age. I was probably one of the earliest adopters back in like the late 2000s, early whenever whenever YouTube first started. Mm-hmm. Um but not long after that, I, I was consuming YouTube probably more than I did TV, you know. Um, yeah. And it's funny now that I'm on YouTube and I'm, I'm older than when, when I'm older than most of my peers. But when I'm around my friends, my day one friends who like they don't quite get that I do YouTube, like because mm-hmm. they're not as avid consumers. They don't like see it as a replacement for regular, you know, media consumption. And so, like, the fact that I quit a real job, you know, to do YouTube for some people early on was like, can you do that? Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I know that feeling. Uh, I started, you know, so I started in the COVID partially out of boredom, partially because I, I think I did my first video maybe like uh, the month after the uprisings after George Floyd, because mm. um, I had was on Facebook and I was seeing some very well wishing, but intensely uninformed takes around race by yeah. uh, a lot of peers. Um, a lot of my, my kids go to a well-mixed school. And so, you know, we have a handful of, you know, white uh, friends, parents that we were connected to. And I was just seeing some of their responses to what was going on. And instinctually, I was like, your kid plays with my kid. So mm-hmm. I need to say some things. And so I wrote this like scathing takedown of, of white liberal race uh, nonsense and was like, I can't put this out. <laughs> and so then I made a video about Hamilton instead. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I snuck enough of the stuff in. I was like, okay, this is this is good. You know what? I like doing yeah. this. And then I kind of went from there. And um, over time, I've uh, developed politically. I've recognized that uh, success on YouTube just kind of ethically for me required me to be more political mm-hmm. in my content. It did not feel good for me to make, you know, medium spice uh, stuff on teaching white people racism and get so much money for it. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm not going to be uh, Van Jones on CNN or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I can't, I can't be that digestible. I have to be more spicy. And so I started becoming more political, which has, led to just as much success which is dope it's also introduced me to introduced me and reintroduced me to concepts um further left than i was prepared to go when i started that have even further developed me and kind of uh inform my my work even more and just good stuff all around it's been a great experience aside from the obvious you know uh nonsense that you get into uh dealing with the online left and mm-hmm. being a i call it fake famous uh person mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm I, I'm not you know updating my resume anytime soon to get a real job. Yeah. So here I am. Yeah, that's that. What you said about the um, having a moral obligation, kind of to 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 do you to make your channel something useful. That really resonates with me because I mm. I started out um, in the same kind of vein as the oh you know the oh hey here's an interesting fact <laughs> graphic kind of <laughs> yeah but you know no shade to to our our, our friends uh 
that do stuff like that. But it just wasn't for me. It felt bad after a while. And, you know, come 2020 and the COVID stuff and all that. I finally, I had been reading some theory on the side and I finally kind of snapped. I'm going to go off the deep end here. I'm going to make one one video about socialism explicitly. And if it torpedoes my channel, fine, I'll go back to Best Buy and work there. But, you know, it, luckily it worked out. Like you said, it, it's 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 opened my channel up to an audience that is if it's not as big, it's at least more loyal and more invested and more genuinely interested in, in the kind of the content, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the politics, the culture, the how all of these things intersect, and it's that's what makes it interesting and, and it seems valuable to me. But anyway, I want to steer away from the politics for a minute to do something entirely for my own benefit because I talk about this with my friend or my friends ask me about this a lot. Um, but he, anyway, here goes. I this is probably my my most reactionary take. I cannot stomach anime <laughs> to the point <laughs> to, to the point where I'm tempted to say like anime is bad outright, which I know is is not fair at all. That's like dismissing all of Hollywood or all of American animation stuff like that. But you put out a video pretty recently called Why Do Guys Love Anime? Um, so I'm hoping you can help me and and maybe help some listeners who are in the same boat. Um, for pretty much all of my adult life, I've had this knee-jerk reaction of, of discomfort um, or even sometimes revulsion when I'm presented with anime. Um, <laughs> and I, I think you understand where I'm going. Yeah, like, I think that's a normal I, response to anime. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, yeah, don't, I don't blame at you. Least, at, at least some of it. Because to me, when I hear the word anime, I think of like sexualized five-year-olds. Oh, but it's okay because she's actually a thousand-year-old dragon. <laughs> yes, um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> You know, like explosive nosebleeds, which are clearly meant to suggest something else. Um, the, the high-pitched yelling and, and, and the constant whimpering and stuff. And I have friends who say that that stuff isn't present in all anime. Right. But I've yet to see one where that is the case. So am I just way off base here or, or is there something to my negative reaction to this stuff? You are... Not completely off base, <laughs> but also, <laughs> <Okay. Indicated. laughs> but yeah, you, you have, you have, you know, of course. So it's so interesting since I've done that, I've actually ran into, uh, come across like the anime. I don't even know what to call them. Like they're the anime equivalent to like anarcho syndicalist. Like you know, huh. you know how you know me. I'm just like yeah, socialism. Like if we could yeah, just yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. redistribute wealth and and maybe like you know create some disruption in our political systems to access uh, more useful support systems for those in need. And then you have like the anarcho syndicalists. Like no, we're gonna destroy all private property. Yada, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not and I'm not like against that. By the way, I'm just pointing out that there's like. Right, there's they're straight like, to bombing trains. Right, yeah. right. There's there's a there's a there's a level that I didn't know existed in anime fandom that I just found out about because I had responses that were like, "This is cute and all, but what about like the academic? What about this book on otaku philosophy?" Oh wow! And it's like mm. actually good shit. And he, this dude like explained to me how. Uh, I was just on a live. I wish I remembered their names. I'll I'll check. I'll look into it so you can name drop them here. But I was just I I, I snuck into somebody's live because I tend to always whenever I drop something new, I want to see critiques because it, it helps yeah. me sharpen. You know, good critiques, not like you know pointing to the screen like this guy is such an ass. Yeah. But like you <laughs> yeah. know, useful critiques. And uh, they're talking about how like a particular wave in anime they call isekai, which is all about this fantasy <laughs> escapism. I'm sure you may know something about yeah. it. And it, it has a tendency to get really gross, 
But yeah. the underlying, you know, kind of like stuff under it is actually really interesting because I, I would imagine that the isekai is consumed by like teenage boys, but it's actually consumed by young adult and like aging men who huh. are um, in that salary man worker culture of Japan where they've been completely alienated from, you know, themselves and they're like in this dystopian hellscape of, you know, that Japan, I'm not going to say it is, I don't know enough about Japanese culture, but we know that Japan has a unique work culture in that, like they have a word for dying from overwork. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And so, and these stories are usually about those guys get hit by a truck and then they're free in a fantasy world. And when you yeah. kind of like look at it from that standpoint, you're like, oh, well, there's actually a, at least some interesting social, cultural, political tidbits mm. to chew on there. And that's my response to, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong. Your response is why I don't watch anime as much as I used to. I got a little older and jiggling boobs didn't have the <laughs> yeah. same effect on me. And then yeah. like the age depiction of those boobs, I started getting further and further from. So I was mm. like, this doesn't this even feels weirder now. So that's there, but there's also such uh, interesting stories being told. And before I'm anything, I'm probably a media junkie. You know, I'm a lover of stories and uh, storytelling. And so there are, I can, I can shoot you a couple of things that yeah. you would find, you know, anime has its own uh, Discovery Channel. I'm not Discovery Channel. What did, what did Breaking Bad come on? No, HBO. I don't know. Whatever it has, its uh, own shows yeah. <laughs> that are that are the equivalent of like prestige dramas, along oh, okay. with the you know one thousand year old dragon <laughs> baby uh, yeah, nonsense. Yeah. Um, but the to the real answer though to me and the reason why I made that video was um just kind of like my experiences teaching and teaching boys. A lot of my stuff centers around masculinity, and mm. I remember very vividly the type of joy I witnessed when like young men would get around each other around anime and like the camaraderie and friendship they had. Sometimes it was around, you know, the dragon lolly or whatever. So that's, Mm -hmm. there's a intervention to be made there, but there was something to that. And one of the things that I think capitalism is doing, you know, there's all this talk about the um, loneliness epidemic and all these things that are happening with men. What's wrong with men? And of course you have your reactionaries that say, well, what's wrong is women don't know their place and Muslims and black people, et cetera. And really the answer is late capitalism. And so I operate a lot in like a love ethos I'm a big Bell Hooks fan, despite some of her flaws. I'm big on empathy. And so recognizing that there doesn't have to be that that there's there's a there's a there there with anime and young men where you can capture that joy that they're experiencing in that medium and in those cultures. And you can cultivate it and make it resistant to alienation and the you know ugliness that late capitalism is pushing all, a lot of us through and so i kind of wanted that video to be almost like a uh inspirational type of thing to, mm-hmm. to that population because they don't get spoken to like that very often you know they're often spoken to as a problem population yeah boys and men of all races especially black men but of all races are mm-hmm. often looked at as a problem population and nobody wants to like hang out with them and give them hugs and attaboys enough. And I just kind of wanted that video to be in that realm. Yeah, I think that's that's an admirable approach because it's it is true that like I mean I've got 
God, how many brothers do I have? I got two brothers. I got two, three sisters. Okay. <laughs> I got two <laughs> brothers, and you know, they're one of them kind of got caught up in the the whole manosphere adjacent stuff where he's like oh you know i have, I have to be so careful about well you know men have to be so careful about what they say on on dates and stuff I'm like man you just got to be you, be normal don't be cre- <laughs> yeah, don't be creepy just how hard is it to be a decent person it's so yeah it is i think it is so important to the, to have you know if, if not role models at least people would be like hey it's cool i mean i'm a guy too like we can talk about this stuff and it's it's not like you're not on trial yes things like that but yeah but so i've watched to get back to the anime, I, I've I when I was growing up, I watched on Toonami, um, Roroni Kenshin and Yu Yu Hakusho, and I liked both of those. And then when I was a little bit older, I, I was I, I really liked Avatar: The Last Airbender, um, and so I watched oh, what was that one called that inspired Avatar? That inspired Fully Cooly? Is it Fully Cooly? FLCL? Something like that? I don't know. If that, um, I don't know if that inspired Avatar or not, but it's mm. like a seminal anime. It's like yeah, one of those. It, it was tier. weird. Yeah. It was very weird. <laughs> it, was, yes. it was weird. Yeah, but it was but it was interesting to watch. I don't think I remember it. Like any any revulsion watching that. Um, there's there's, but, there's some there's some voyeuristic stuff with the girls uh, there, but it's it's kind of like your. You know, your mileage may vary with yeah, the, yeah. with there. It's meant to kind of typify the fact that we're in the head of a uh, pubescent boy. Yeah. And so yeah. this is how a pubescent boy will look at women and girls, even in, you know, like even in not like a, 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 a lascivious nature. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, I just realized titties. And, yeah. And, you yeah, know, yeah. and mm-hmm. so like, you know, and, and as 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 much as there is it's necessary to problematize that in our media we also don't want to there there's a thing i'm going to start dropping like jargon like carcel feminism and yeah, yeah. hegemonic masculinity and stuff like that but there's just a thing that we do that's a very lazy um form of of activism and analysis on the left where we kind of like just do what's really shallow, unfinished critiques of masculinity under patriarchy. And we kind of just like run with that. And so like, you know, 13 year old boy stares at a boob. So, you know, throw him in jail because we protect women. It's like, all right, there's, can we, can we, can we cook that analysis a little longer? You Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. can we protect women and address patriarchy and misogyny without alienating boys from relatively normal sexual development under capitalism, especially, you know, and it's not on some, Oh, we're pushing guys to the right. Like, I don't believe that shit either, but I do believe that there is that we could be doing better in terms of like just developing our analytical tools for how we engage with boyhood and that development. I, you know, I came out of grad school. Um, I, I quit my PhD program once YouTube started taking off and I, I sometimes shit on grad school more than I should just because it's funny. But I had a decent experience <laughs> in grad school. But one thing that I am definitely like bitter about is recognizing that there were just very few men in gender studies, like yeah. whether there be people in my program, my professors or just like people who are doing the work, the only guy. <laughs> and this is kind of like the the problem. The biggest name in gender studies for the last like 15, 20 years got me too um, while mm-hmm. I was in grad school and it kind of like turned the whole discipline on its head because everybody was like, hey, he does men. So like he has his own journal. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like, okay, maybe everybody should be doing this at a higher level with more effort yeah. to, to like, right. you know, I don't know how the hell we got there. See, that's, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> well, how about this? How about if you were to give me or someone like me one recommendation to cure me of my <laughs> of my reactionary stance on on anime? What do you think would be a good a good foot in the door? <sighs> so my favorite of all time is Madoka Magica. Now. It may not be the good first step because Madoka Magica <laughs> plays upon some you needing some familiarity with anime and anime tropes, which I think okay. everybody has. Like everybody has, like everybody knows who Sailor Moon. Yeah, is. just culturally, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just so good. It's so good visually. Um, there's some really interesting um, social political commentary involved there. It's only 13 episodes. There's a bunch of movies that came after it, but don't watch those. Those all suck and they don't count. (laughs) It's 13 episodes and it starts a little slow. But once like you're hit with the reality of what the show is doing, you're going to be like, holy shit, this is kind of amazing. Um, If you want something a little more normie, a little more normie uh, suitable because Madoka Magica has like a talking cat and, you know, a giant <laughs> clown monster um, and time travel. So you want something a little uh, more normal. Uh, you can't go wrong with Death Note. Um, it's mm. just kind of a, you know, it's a reason why it has a Netflix um, yeah. uh, adaptation that is awful. Um, Death Note <laughs> or Cowboy Bebop will kind of give you like strong uh, understandings of what anime is capable of. So, those are my three. Yeah, I, I know. I meant to start watching Cowboy Bebop. Maybe I'll go back and, and give that a try because that does like the art at least looks really cool for that, and I like the vibe. Yeah. But okay, all right, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the plunge. I'm gonna give it a try. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a try. Weeb arc can... activated for JT. Here we go. Oh no. <laughs> okay. S- second thought video in September. So why is anime uh, socialist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which there's a I'm lot of stuff to... in there too. By the way, like there's there's some there there as well. Dude, Code Geass, you can write extensively, but I was just being quiet this entire time because I just, I was just letting, uh, I was just letting you cook, essentially, <laughs> get work, working on our boy JT. Because yeah. I've, I've told him, I've made, I've made some recommendations. I'm like, you can give it a go, my guy. And this dude doesn't, he doesn't take the bait. I'm stubborn. But hopefully, I'm stubborn. What can it's I say? All right. It's all right. We'll turn you into a weeb yet. Don't one worry. of these days, yeah, I'll show up at, at one of those cons dressed up as something or other. All right. <laughs> now, now that I've been, um, I'm sure, thoroughly canceled for my media consumption, um, let's move on to something that, that matters a bit more. Um, I think all of us here have made videos at least tangentially related to the whitewashing of radical figures in history. Um, to use an example from one of your recent videos, FD, you talked about the conservative twisting of, of MLK's legacy. Uh, how much would you say the watering down of radicalism, and specifically black radicalism in the case of MLK, Malcolm X, or the Black Panthers, how much has that affected our modern understanding of what resistance to capitalism, racism, and other forms of oppression should look like? It's fucking huge. Mm-hmm. Um it's why I'm so like grateful that that video got the legs it got. Yeah. Uh, you know, cause I don't, you don't expect a million view videos. Um, very often, you know, you stumble upon them. I think I have three now. Uh, and that one was like, that's outdoing my Bo Burnham video, which was like my, 
you know, enunciation to white liberals that yeah. I was one of the good ones. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. now to come back and be like, all right, but fuck liberalism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so, and so for that one to outdo it, I'm like, yes, yes, we're here. Yeah. We're in there. So it's a huge thing because what that video came from my political development, the last, like basically going into COVID. So I came out of um, Obama probably a burgeoning leftist like I think a lot of older millennials mm-hmm. um you know a lot of older millennials we voted for Obama as young adults um thinking that we were about to, we were finally about to change the world and we come out of Obama as you know in our 30s and early 30s kind of like oh it's way deeper than that we realize yeah. and and we really got suckered in by this image of the the perfect black capitalist mainstream neoliberal figure you know obama for all the critiques that you should that he deserves one thing you have to give him is that he was he's the most talented uh, politician probably of of our lifetime um right and so you you come out of that a lot of millennials were kind of like trying to figure out okay so what else is there you know what else could we be doing and in that moment the left was invisible especially for black millennials it was completely if you weren't in you know, a sociology or political science program, you know, which are, you know, obviously most people aren't in, let alone African-Americans, then that was invisible to you. And so you kind of just, you know, wandered around and just said, I guess I'll, you know, you know get behind Joe Biden and yeah. you know, we'll see what happens next. So who, who ran against Clinton? I mean, or oh, Clinton or Clinton, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, because like we don't have any other choices, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so like that's that was me. This this those last two videos were literally for me between 2016 and 2020. You know what I'm saying? The videos I wish I'd have seen as Obama was leaving office. And so for me in particular, I had a relatively radical upbringing. My my mom was not a Black Panther, but she was affiliated with a lot of those communities. Um mm-hmm. uh with uh, not the, not the Nation of Islam, but with Black Muslim communities in Chicago. Right. So like a a lot of like radical black figures were in my general like pure view growing up. And I learned about what I realize now is cultural Pan-Africanism, not 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 Pan-African socialism. Right. Scientific Mm -hmm. socialism. I learned about cultural Pan-Africanism. I learned only about Marcus Garvey, none about Kwame Ture. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I learned about Mm -hmm. W.B. Du Bois, but none but only the talented 10th, none of the socialism. And so what I realized through my through these years uh, in research and engaging with further radical figures within these black spaces and communities is that there's been an incredibly effective and intentional campaign to hide that history and that reality from black people of all classes and, and social and economic backgrounds, because what you realize historically is that it's been black people who have been the biggest threat to capital in America mm-hmm. um, pretty much from from jump. And and this is, you know, this is known to everybody but us. And in place of that, we've gotten this black excellence resistance, this this yeah. re- black resistance through commerce and economics. We have Killer Mike and Jay-Z saying capitalist is a is the N-word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we call it get you a LLC Twitter. Um, so, you know, so, so many of these figures and why it's effective is because it it appeals to the 
insecurity of material resources that most black people feel, even black people with access to resources, you realize they could go away pretty quickly. So many things could take them away from you and you won't have a chance to get them back. Then we have the promotion of these aspirational figures by the media in our public uh, consciousness to say, hey, these are the leaders. These are who you should aspire to be, young black man. You know, I read Ben Carson's book as a kid. It was so like shocking and disappointing when I was like, motherfuckers been Republican the whole time. The fuck? Um, You know, so like so it's been such a such an effective propaganda. But now they're starting to get cracks in the armor. You mm-hmm. know, we know that uh, millennials uh, politically are much further left as we get as we age than Gen X was than anybody like I, you're familiar with this. The trend is generally as people get older, they get more conservative. And yeah, millennials yeah. are not doing that. We're getting more leftists, in fact, um, yeah. because we've been, you know, there's a system is broken and we're here uh, holding the pieces. And then, like, you know, as that's happening, like right now, literally, Killer Mike is being drugged in Atlanta as we speak because um, the Greenwood Bank, which is his fake banking institution that is really a white owned bank that he and some of his peers sold as a black banking institution, bought a black business club called the the Gathering Mm -hmm. Spot. And this is a business club in multiple cities. It's like in Atlanta, D.C., maybe like Chicago. I'm not sure. And it's a place where, you know, black excellence happened and all these black people doing business and and startups and tech. And we're all going to come here and we have our business club and we do cool things because we're cool. And they sold that motherfucker to the Greenwood, which is a white owned bank. And this weekend they fired the black CEO of the Atlanta branch and replaced him with a white dude. And huh. and this said you and then and then released a statement saying we um we are dedicated to diversity and <laughs> black folks in Atlanta is like diversity no motherfucker yeah. this is black what is yeah. this diversity you're talking about we didn't buy we wouldn't sign up for a diverse workspace we signed up for a black oriented workspace and so yeah he's getting drugged because this was his you know this is his baby that he sold us and. Like, you know, what happens from there? Maybe there's a lot more, you know, I don't, I think everybody's going to, you we're going to, people going to go along and get along with this election cycle. Right. Yeah. But like, maybe this is where it starts, where people start getting more actively involved in uh, organizing or local politics. They, they just elected an outright socialist in Chicago, which is like, mm. you know, the first black mayor in like 30 years. Um, so like, that's a thing. You know, so our first black male mayor, t- technically. Yeah, yeah. Um, in like 30 years. Uh, and he's, you know, already seeing challenges. But it just speaks to a window of opportunity that's happening because so many black people are reengaging with this political history that we've been disabused of for the last 60, 70 years. Yeah, that's there's definitely some optimism to be had there. And I think w- one of the more effective ways I've I've found of reminding people about the radicalism of, of these past movements is, is, you know, to show that one, you know, political comic of uh, MLK and he's talking to a reporter and like there's a flipped police car and there's something on fire in the background and MLK says, I plan to have another nonviolent march next week. Right. And it's like, okay, you see you see how they saw him in his time, you know, before he was turned into to a martyr and then into some you know, fictitious form of, of himself. Civil rights Santa Claus. Exactly, mm. yeah. And so it's like, 
the history that you are presented about, oh, you know, MLK, he came, he said some inspirational words, uh, he, you know, he shook hands with white people and then racism was over. Right. That's not reality. That's not how this works. Um, and it's good that people are, are, are kind of learning that and, and grappling with it and, and realizing that, that the real history, the real way of, of winning change is, is still the only effective way to do it. Right. And it's insidious. Like the reason why I don't want to, you know, I don't want to start drama here. I, I, I only <laughs> Hakeem, I was thinking to myself, why do I know Hakeem so well? And I was like, oh, wait, we share the same anti fans. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to start too much drama. Uh, but without bringing up names, one of the reasons why I returned to that topic very recently, I just leaked a video on my side channel about lying about civil rights, is because they use that to then stamp down on other social action movements, other, yes. other, other yeah. you know, because it was like, yeah, Martin Luther King wouldn't have did X, Y, and Z, and the transit shouldn't either. And it's like, motherfucker, Martin Luther King carried guns. Yeah. <laughs> he just didn't talk about it. You know, like, he, he understood what was really happening. Um, yeah. he, he just had, he was strategic. Yeah, we know exactly who you're talking about, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you mentioned uh, a little while ago that, that your mother was affiliated with the Black Panthers. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in that sphere, you know, if you were close to it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in being blown away with how well the organization mm. was able to defend the black community, to take care of poor kids, to make sure they were fed, uh, and to, to agitate for, for, for class consciousness. To endure, yeah, under intense pressure from, from the police. Yeah. Um, were you aware of any of this struggle as a kid? My, my mom was only a teenager when they were at their most active and by the time she was old enough to like be fully engaged, they had been mostly decimated and there were multiple like yeah. uh, factions developing. I probably was closer to being connected to uh, movements of oh, I'm about to fuck up his name. Is it, is it Ron Karinga? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Ron Karinga. So I don't have a ton to tell you about the Black Panthers in their heyday and things I gleaned from my mother. Mm. But I can kind of give you the aftermath of like what happens once a a movement like that is targeted and like decimated on numerous fronts. And also like to keeping it keeping it 100, like the fractures that did happen within it, they they were so thoroughly infiltrated by FBI informants and the police and the CIA, et cetera, because the Panthers were really operating on like a, a socialist uh, power to the people ethos. And they yeah. didn't want to turn away people. And so that made it possible for, you know, uh, you know, the government to, to, to compromise folks who were in dire straits when they were collected. Uh, that that classic footage of uh, Fred Hampton talking about education, mm -hmm. that was uh, not on accident. That was because they recognized as they brought people in, if they were going to have a real people's movement that could survive the type of scrutiny and 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 um, fire that they were under, they would have to make sure people understood why they were there and what mm -hmm. the value was. And sadly, it just it didn't happen. So you have so many fractures that never really hit the, the lore of the Panthers. Right. And the things that are allowed to survive are those that are more amenable to capital. Ron Karinga, who was the guy uh, that my mother was connected to, one of the famous stories about him is that uh, he was a part of a shootout. So Bunchy Carter was a Black Panther um, 
that uh, was active in California, and he, he had a like as as the Panthers were being targeted, and as all these organizations were being targeted, right, and decimated, and the CIA was playing them against each other. Karinga was kind of just developing his group. And there was a uh, there were like they were I don't know the, all the details, so we're going to have to like do a, a deep dive on this lore. But the mm. end result was a shooting between these two rival factions of black uh, of black power organizing in California. And it just so happened that the faction that was more that was less radical and more more amenable to capital is the one that survived. And you see that mm. kind of repeating throughout history with a lot of these movements, um, a lot of these, uh, th- that radical era, um, the more radical people were killed, put in jail, or left the country for fear of being killed or put in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and then who's left to tell the story? Right. And those are the stories I was told as when I was younger. Like that was the 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 development of, of black power and uh, pan-Africanism that I was taught under it had nothing to do with socialism it was all of all about just building up the image of the of black people and the black men which then lends itself to you know essentially western chauvinism yeah and so you see that legacy be picked up and even further perverted by the likes of Tariq Nasheed you know what I'm saying uh and insert uh who was a big person even though they were they were never really that big a deal, but they definitely made their rounds on Left Tube. I can't remember the group that everybody made a video about. Oh, oh God! Was it the, what, uh, Black Hammer? Black, Black Hammer. Hammer. Black thank Hammer, you. Yeah. yeah. You know, so like it, that's not an accurate. Um, number one, that's not a <laughs> that's not a very significant like image of any type of Black political movement. Mm-hmm. But it's also not even an accurate depiction of like cultural Pan Africanism. That was like kind of like playing telephone if yeah. you imagine like you have pan-africanism developing between all these colonized african nations and a handful of um american participants you know all throughout the early 1900s and it's it it immediately starts to lend itself to socialism and collectivist uh organizing etc cetera, etc cetera. and you have all these these groups winning winning their battles against colonial power and then slowly being, you know, decimated and killed by by Western powers. Then the people that are supposed to kind of hold the legacy and teach it to the next, you know, the next generation aren't there to do it. And so you only have certain aspects that get picked back up. And so after you play telephone long enough, you end up with uh, Tariq Nasheed. And so I'm like at the 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 second to last <laughs> spot on the telephone in terms of that history and it took me the last couple of years to look back across that history to connect with people who were actually there or connect with people who hold the the original text to that time to be like oh so we were being taught wrong this entire time a whole generation of young black people are only being taught certain parts of the legacies of these figures and um and that's, you know, going back to that previous question, that's just kind of the design of the plot. And I guess you could say the same thing kind of happened with the Black Lives Matter movement, where it was it had real potential to be guided by the principles of socialism, or at least, you know, more left wing principles, but was easily co-opted um, and kind of defanged 
by the less radical elements within it. Right. We don't know the extent to which it was was intra- infiltrated and stuff, but it's safe to assume that it was to a significant degree. And you saw the more the more radical um, figures in the movement being either arrested or harassed, and you know some of them disappeared. The exactly. And then those, yeah. And then those who didn't uh, left um, relatively early. And it's a uh, and it, and we won't know we probably won't know that full story for a while because we're not yeah. and the other the other struggle here, um, getting into maybe me and Hakeem's mutual uh, a- antagonizers <laughs> on, yeah. in this space <laughs> is that a lot of times the people that we would rely on to like engage in these stories cannot be trusted to tell them without avarice you know there's yeah. such a desire to pillory. Uh, there's a there's a there's a desire. I'm actually, you know, starting to like in my head develop some work around like whiteness and this myth of anti-white racism. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this like desire that exists still very much in progressive and liberal and even further left white spaces to kind of like defang the reality of racism as a white yeah. thing. And to find the examples and hyper focus on the examples of when black people or when colonized and oppressed people act in in just like the oppressor. And, you know, and it's and it's very much a cope, you know. Yeah. And, and, and what what happens, what that does is it makes it so you have to be prudent when it's time to tease out problems that do exist, you know. I, I have to think, OK, how will I did this whole section of Marcus Garvey? I had the, the section of Marcus Garvey in the, the last conservative video. I had to like pare down because I was like, you know what? I'm just not comfortable talking this bad about Marcus Garvey in public because mm-hmm. um, yeah. people are going to use that as a way to start using the term blitler again, unironically. <laughs> <laughs> and so I need to like, you know, pull this back a little bit, you know. Same thing yeah. with Black Lives Matter. I think there are a lot of whistleblowers and people that know how deep the the well went with that, but they're just not going to talk about it uh, externally yet because of the dangers of amplifying, you know, Candace Owens again. You mentioned Candace Owens right now, and uh, I would like to segue into uh, a question of mine. This is me being selfish myself because <laughs> uh, you have a fantastic video about this, um, but I would really like to hear your kind of unfiltered uh delivery too about it i'm sure you think you've had to deal with this yourself quite a bit uh but me being not african-american and not american at all um i still happen to get recommendations of the um, i guess i i consume enough like (laughs) adjacent content um that it thinks that hey you know what uh, you want to see what uh, Thomas Sewell has to say. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, you want to see him dunk on compies or something, right? Like that ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's and so then, weird. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, it's perfectly fine. But yeah, the, the related thing is like, yeah, Candace Owens and all these other, um, like, I don't want to say black agents of capital, if, if I can even say that in that way. But it's uh, um, these people that are intended to give legitimacy to pro-establishment perspectives from this downtrodden minority model, right? right. Um, could you please tell us from your perspective, at least, uh, what, what, where do you think this comes from? What is the material reason for this black, quote-unquote black conservatism, if we could even term it that? So I, I wouldn't call, if you watch the, the follow-up video, I wouldn't even call Thomas Sowell and Candace Owens black conservatives. Um, mm. They're just, I think you used maybe a good term there, just black agents of capital, just black mm-hmm. agents of, you know, neo-fascist, neoliberal fascist, uh, you know, corporate tools. They're, they're, they're not really... 
their blackness is incidental to their content and their their messaging. Um, and, and overall, the key thing is that they are completely unconnected to actual black political thought. You will not hear. I did not know who Thomas Sowell was until I started doing YouTube and had right wingers and um, <laughs> debate debate stream fans say, hey, you should talk about Thomas Sowell. I'm like, who the fuck mm. is Thomas Sal? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know who he was. And like, mm. he is not at all, um, you know, the black. Killer Mike is a black. I'm more worried about Killer Mike. Killer Mike is a black conservative. Mm. He's very dangerous. He's becoming increasingly dangerous mm. because he has so much aesthetic value within black communities and, and so much street cred, like literal and um, figuratively speaking. Uh, but mm. but I'll, I'll pause on him for a second. So coming back to like another thing you pointed out is how those how they proliferate. And that to me is algorithmic. That is I don't know. I don't have a great explanation there. I'm, I tend to I'm, I feel like I have as good a take on how the algorithm works as anybody that's not a YouTube, you know, executive program or whatever. Like, mm. I feel like I know like my success to be able to do a video where I talk about some of the stuff I talk about and have it be successful and re- get hundreds of thousands of views is because I've, I feel like I've cracked, you know, the, the, the air quotes crack the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still don't understand why the algorithm keeps <laughs> sending me Thomas Sal mm. videos. <laughs> uh, Cause I don't get, I don't get pushed Prager U videos. I don't get pushed mm. insert. I don't know who's the, uh, the, the Ben Ben Shapiro's company. What is this? What is this? Yeah, Daily oh, Wire, yeah. Uh, Rebel Media, or Daily Wire, Turning yeah. Point USA. I don't know whatever Ben Shapiro's um thing is. I, I don't get pushed that, but I will mm. get pushed Thomas Sowell videos and a handful of Candace Owens videos, I guess, which I guess is Ben Shapiro's thing. Um, mm. and mm. I get pushed uh like reactions to Thomas Sowell videos. So I don't know what that is. I can't call it because the algorithm tends to work on getting you to watch more YouTube. But I also know that these algorithms work as uh, tools to convert audiences into more useful and lucrative consumer populations. I don't know if you've ever seen, Mm. uh, it's a documentary on Netflix. I think it's The Social Dilemma. I think this is where I got that from, but I may have gotten it from somewhere else. But it's not just that the algorithm like says, hey, this video is viral, let's send it everywhere. It also says this video is viral. How can we use it to funnel viewers into a a genre of content that tends to produce more viewing? So Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I know I am successful and second thought why you're successful. And I'm sorry, JT, why you successful? I came a lot of us is that um, leftist, you know, content, people consume it a lot. And so to yeah, get yeah. attached to this consumer base in this pocket of YouTube means to have more success because YouTube wants to convert, you know, normal people, people that are moderate to, you know, just liberal and say, hey, maybe you'd like this second thought video that's 20 minutes long. Oh, does mm-hmm. you like that? You should really check out this Khadijah Bo video that's 50 minutes long. Oh, did mm-hmm. you like that? Here's a two hour long FD signifier video, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And in between this, they're showing the ads, et cetera. So there, there's a there's a cynical marketing element to it 
that I don't understand because it doesn't work for me for Thomas Sowell, but I definitely feel like there's an oversaturation of black conservative content on YouTube in the political sphere compared to, oh, I'm tripping. It's because of white people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm getting it all backwards. In fact, you can just, you can cut half of that and just say it's because white people watch that shit. There's a a strong um, desire for white audiences to consume, as you said, Hakeem, the black face of colonial legitimization, you know, of capital legitimization. That, at least that, that explains why the algorithm drives it. Because the algorithm yeah. technically doesn't know our race, but it yeah. knows the movement of, you know, consumers. And um, white people make up the audiences of those folks, like almost completely. Yep. Mm. I can lead into the final question now, which is, um, possibly an irritating question to have at the very end because it's fairly complex. <laughs> um, but I, I want to ask you, where do you personally see the place of race, specifically your experience as an African-American man? And it kind of sucks that I'm kind of bringing, like you're an African-American guest, so I'm asking race-related questions, but that's just out of general interest as somebody who isn't American, uh, who tries to sympathize with the black experience despite not experiencing it myself. Right, um, right. Although in a weird way, the internal periphery of the African-American experience is paralleled by what those uh, victimized by American imperialism can kind of feel. Mm. Um, yeah. Like there's a weird uh, solidarity, and not solidarity, like a, a fraternity of sorts. Um, <laughs> that that makes shared. sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, exactly was, right. but, that was a big part of the of, of Pan-African and the Black Power movement. Um, I, I mentioned Kwame Ture. Uh, mm. You know, one of his so Kwame Sway is not perfect, right? Um, none of these figures are perfect, I, and I hate how a lot of times we tend to deify uh, these figures to be infallible and without bad moments. And so, one mm. of the problems he ran into was kind of like engaging with Zionism, um, mm-hmm. and you know that always has a that the way that works out is you end up having to be talked about in the same conversation as, you know, anti anti-Semites. Right. Um, but and then you start talking about, well, what counts is, you know, the the Israeli people and the other is a bunch of stuff that I don't want to get into and put on put on a uh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but one but he was still very solid in the fact that his issue wasn't with Judaism, it was with colonialism. And yeah. so he that's why he was anti Vietnam. Martin Luther King was anti Vietnam. And you saw the development of that ethos during that time. But now, you know, now I I don't have the strongest take here in terms of like a leftist engagement around race, Uh, only in Mm. that we have to start problematizing it. There's there's an internal discourse with uh, black folks that we're starting to have around the intersection of race and class because I think yeah. we're starting to recognize how class has been used to divide black people within race, if that makes sense. You know, going back to the Killer Mike and, you know, the Jay-Z's, how they can position themselves as black leaders and like agents of black liberation while clearly working in in the um you know, working for capital and 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 working against black liberation in that regard. And that comes from, you know, a uh, a hatred of the poor. It comes from internalized anti-blackness. It comes from all these different aspects that cannot be uh, that has to be an in-house, you know, address like plan to address it. It will will not and cannot be fixed 
through an external cross-collaborative process. At the same time, once we do start having external cross-collaborative um, actions with, you know, different political factions of the left and different, you know, power brokers in the left and, and whatever else, there are so many problems in how the absence of basic uh, race theory, just like basic shit you should get from a, a, a any like card carrying, you know, I'll call yourself a leftist person. Um, mm-hmm. should be able to understand why an individual who we won't name shouldn't be <laughs> saying certain things that they've recently said about race um, yeah. on various platforms. You know, it's things that you could get from watching fucking Get Out and Jordan Peele. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like people that, like, every leftist should be able to tell me what that movie was really about. And it wasn't about mm-hmm. like, just scary bad white people. It was about liberal racism um mm, yeah and the fact that we don't have that baseline understanding around race means that we have a lot of work to do right like that's that's a that's a given but it also means that black people will continue to kind of organize and build independently and and sparingly with other comrades outside of outside of blackness because it's so much work to We just haven't gotten to that point yet. There's there's so Mm. much work in educating around the around the way race works with capital, uh, you know, white supremacy as a function of capitalism, as a function of fascism, like understanding how that really works. And whiteness is a fucking powerful drug. It it Mm. truly, truly is. And its biggest tool, the thing it does it's, it's most valuable asset is that whiteness and white supremacy renders itself invisible. It only pops out when a, po- a police officer puts their uh, knee on a black man's neck for 10 minutes mm-hmm. or, you know, or something else bombastic. Like only then does white supremacy exist in the cultural consciousness of the West Beyond that, it's like, yeah, everything's cool, right? You know, handshakes, corn rolls, black TikTok dances, all the all the stuff. <laughs> you know, I love Eminem and Macklemore. They're my favorite rappers. Mm. Like stuff like that is mm. is the baseline for race consciousness in this country among white people. And to disabuse them of that takes a lot of effort and work that the average black person, myself included, can only do sparingly, if at all. And the average white person can't do effectively independent of that, of, of the, independent of a black, uh, of somebody who's an expert guiding them, you know. And there are like white experts on race. They have to be because we can't get into fucking, you know, higher academia to lead the discourse. Uh, but like they, you know, they're also marginalized because of what they talk about. So it's, it's a it's a tough situation that, you know, again, I think is progressing I don't think it's an accident that my emergence, at least in the online left, has been met with so much overt resistance from so-called leftists um, Mm -hmm. who are trying their best to, you know, paint me as an anti-white racist. You know, like that is such a useful dog whistle. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, And it's useful to me because it's like, oh, I know exactly what you guys are doing. (laughs) You know, like you're not critiquing. (laughs) You're not critiquing my my work and my takes. Like, I don't know shit about, um, you know, there's so many things you could critique me on. 
but you're going for the thing that you know does the thing that you need it to do, which is invalidate mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And so I don't think that I think that resistance is emblematic of growth. You know, Andrewism, who you all should probably have one at some point in time, who does great videos, uh, just hit, hit 100,000 subscribers. Like, and he, he does no drama. He does no media analysis. He does no pop culture. It's just anarchism. It's just mm-hmm. it's just high minded, you know, black anarchism videos and 100,000 subscribers off that. That is amazing. And that speaks mm-hmm. to a change in the I don't want to I want to say the economy, but at least a change in the wave of what we're doing. I was just going to say, by the way, about your point on anti-white racism. Anybody who's labeled an anti-white racist is somebody who I'd want to listen to more, frankly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, like how did you do that? Yeah. (laughs) Excellent work. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I want to see more of. I'm being ridiculous. Unironically, though, that is a real thing I've I've seen on Twitter the last couple of weeks, you know. And there's like drama, like I don't want to make it seem like mistakes haven't been made in engaging with drama by me and some of my peers in terms of like being pulled into this nonsense. Um, But it's still pretty clear where the core of a lot of it lies in, in terms of like why certain fandoms and populations of the online left feel such a compelling need to see outspoken black people who are anti-racist and overtly hostile to whiteness as somehow equally bad as Nazis and fascists, et cetera, not understanding Mm -hmm. that whiteness isn't a real thing and not having any, like everybody did a critical race theory video in 2021. And I just still can't believe this shit that I saw 500 critical race videos done by white people in 2021 and none of them understand that white isn't a real thing. <laughs> it's like, how, do you, how did you do that? How did you do that? You know, what did you read? Uh, the, the miracle of centrism. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, uh, oh, that's the name of the video. Thank you. I was trying to figure out what my, you got it. I'm working on a centrist video is going to have killer Mike on the front. Oh, um, yes. And I'm, I, oh, even, I can't I, wait to see that one. I'm going to talk to I'm actually going to put, put the effort in to talk to some non gross centrists. Uh, nice. And I'm going to like try to like do a a functional engagement with why that shit is stupid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Godspeed, man. You are, we'll you are a stronger man than I am. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. That's ex- that's exciting. Can't wait to see that. All right. Well, let's call it there. I know you're back as, uh, as, as calling it quits at this moment. Um, indeed, indeed. <laughs> as we hit the hour 15 mark or whatever it is. Um, anyway, FD, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a blast. I think it's been enlightening for, for both us and for our audience. And uh, I know I speak for all three of us when I say that you are welcome on the show anytime. We would love to have you. So uh, if you would, just one more time, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. Uh, and if you're working on anything, uh, give us a little hint. Definitely, definitely. So this is FD Signifier. Um, I am mostly on YouTube because I am uh, weaning myself off of Twitter um, <laughs> because I'm not, I'm not good at it. I can't do it. I just I start yelling and seeing red and sticking my <laughs> yeah, thumb through my, comp- my phone screen. Uh, <laughs> I am on Instagram. On Instagram, I share more like family and personal stuff. So it's not not very political. 
my videos uh, range in terms of like their politics. So understand the anime video is pretty much apolitical. It, you, you'll hear the dog whistles, right? Mm-hmm. But it's 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 not like every video is not uh, going to dive into leftist territory. And that's for a purpose of reason, because I kind of think I serve, especially as a black figure, is that my biggest use is a... Uh, a gateway drug mm-hmm. to the left for black normies is is my kind of like how I imagine myself. And uh, my next video is actually just about um, how I made it on YouTube. It's one of those like, mm. here's how YouTube works videos. Nice. Um, and I'm kind of trying to like push that out pretty quickly with low effort because my video after that for the end of August is titled Fuck the Police. Yes. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be... Uh, God willing, it'll be a, a kind of high production project, at least for me. And it's I talked to some some serious people about serious things and I did some serious research. So that one look for that one late August and look for the YouTube uh, one early August. Oh, and check me out on Signified B-Size when I, I when you, you'll get this version of me there, the uh, aloof um, rambling uh, <laughs> FD <laughs> only exists on signified B-sides where I go live and, and uh, leave snippets of those lives. All right. Well, you got lots to check out. We will leave links to all of these things in the description. Highly recommend everybody check out FD's work. It really is something special. I'd like to thank all of our patrons. You guys make this possible. Keep us completely ad-free and independent. Um, so if you if you want to hear some bonus episodes, join the uh, join the Discord. Consider supporting us on Patreon. With all that being said, this has been the D Program. I'm JT. I'm Hakeem. This is FD. And anime may or may not be good. <laughs> I'll, I'll, the jury's still out. <laughs>